everybody, welcome to this episode of Lunch with Lindsay. I am so glad you're here. I am titling this episode Full Circle, and that's because of the circumstances surrounding my guests for this episode at the time that we sat down. So here's what I want you to know before we jump right into this conversation. My guest of this episode is 12-time NBA All-Star Chris Paul, and I've been a fan of Chris's for a really long time, not just because he's electric to watch on the basketball court, but because of the person he is. He is a father, he's a husband, he's a brother, he is a leader. He's one of these guys that whenever he goes to a different basketball team and now he's on his sixth, uh, he's one of the guys that brings the group together. He is known as a leader in the locker room. But beyond that, he's also, for several years, he held the position of the president of the NBA Players Association. So that shows you how much people respect him. Chris wrote a book. The book is called 61, and it's really a story about his life, how he grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the things that shaped and molded him, but it's called 61 because it circles around the story of his grandfather, whom he called Papa Chili. And Chris weaves in stories of how his grandfather owned a service station and the lessons that that taught him, but there's also tragedy involved in this book. And what you'll hear in this conversation is Chris talking about some of those experiences, the way that he weaves in the tragedy of losing his grandfather the day after Chris signed to play at Wake Forest. It's so impactful and there are so many things to pull out of this story because Chris talks about fatherhood, things that he's learned. He talks about basketball and has a lot of lessons for how he grew up playing and things that he does now as a parent, but it's masterfully done. When I sat down to talk to Chris for this podcast episode, I found out an hour and a half before we sat down that Chris had been traded to the Golden State Warriors. So here's a guy who I'm getting ready to talk to him about his book. And all of a sudden, the dynamic had completely changed because for Chris, Chris knew that he was no longer going to be with the Suns. That was hard for him to take because he loved being a part of that team. When he found out he was traded to the Warriors, it was an opportunity for him to find the one thing that he's never been able to achieve, and that is winning a championship. So we begin this conversation where I'm talking about a part of the book I had read where Chris had said at one time in his career, there had been an opportunity for him to go play in Los Angeles where he was gonna be traded to be able to play with Kobe Bryant and how much he wanted that opportunity, but the trade was blocked. So I was asking Chris, finding out that he was going to the Warriors, and keep in mind, this was still so fresh for him, did that sort of bring back the same excitement of that portion where he thought he was gonna to get to play with Kobe. One thing I thought about was when you talked about um, the trade that was blocked that would have sent you to play with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And what your emotions were around that. And then when this news happened, I was like, I was wondering, yeah. is this, does this sort of feel like, okay? Yeah, it's funny. Um, um, I had a funeral to go to this morning, so my great-grandmother passed away on Friday. So we got in town late last night, and this morning uh, I was at a funeral. My great-grandmother was 95, 95 years old, and so I went and spoke at something this afternoon, and it was crazy because in the book I talk about funerals and how tough they are to deal with it. And, and you said everyone's faces are wet, they're all looking at each other, and it's a really hard thing for you. Had one this morning. <laughs> had one this morning. and. Uh, my brother, my wife, and my son actually went. So uh, it's the first time I've been to a funeral like that with my son, who's 14. So I'm thinking about how I just wrote about this in the book, and I'm living it today. Um, my grandmother's mother, so I've seen a lot of my family members who some of them I hadn't seen in 15 years, maybe longer. And so all of the emotions of that this morning, then the trade, you know what I mean? So. I'd actually almost forgot about the funeral for a second there when we was talking about that because it's, it's so much, you know what I mean? But uh, you, you keep moving. Yeah. And I mean, the excitement level, is it, what was the first thing that you remember feeling? What, what, is, what was the emotion? Um, I don't know. I just love to play basketball. I was playing basketball when I found out. Yep. You know, and so to know that I'm going, like I said, to play with these other great players. And then um, some people never really understand until you have, like, kids. So to see the excitement in my son, that was how I found out. And to see his reaction, you, you can't be more happy to see 
that he's like that, you know, and so I'm, I'm excited. What was his reaction? Oh, he was, you know, he getting texts from his friends and all that, <laughs> you know, so. This is a serious opportunity, and you talk a lot about that you have things left to accomplish. You know, this book that you wrote, 61, I'm not just saying this, like, you tugged at so many different emotions. I was crying on a plane. <laughs> I was crying when I was reading it in my closet at one point. I was oh. laughing out loud. I loved also, there was a portion I listened to, and your voice in it, it's like, you, you really tell these stories. Also, the AAU side, I found myself, I was like, I want more. I want to understand more as a mom, right? right. Like you hit all these things that are just so important, so awesome. And I think I came out of it really being like, I just want you to run for office. Oh, no. That's, that's <laughs> Would you not, know? No, no chance <laughs> of that. <laughs> You'd be so good. But you, when you talk about having things left to accomplish, what, what is that? Man, um, obviously, it's that elusive championship. You know, so going to a team with guys who have that pedigree, they've shown the ability to do it over and over again, you know, with the coaching staff, with the primetime organization. So um, as long as I've been playing, I still love learning, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about going into um, this team, this organization, and seeing how I can be a piece uh, or just, be part of the uh, puzzle to help us to help our team win. What do you expect? Cause the other thing is when you talked about being a rookie in the NBA, I was so interested in you painted a picture of no one knows what it's like and that it's really lonely. <laughs> and I hate loneliness. Right, right. Right. And I've talked to a lot of other athletes that there was one in particular, a race car driver, who was saying he has to be around people that makes him comfortable. But the way that you painted the picture, it was like, I could totally see it. You know, yeah. you're the new guy coming in. And so uh, what is it like when you change teams? Not like you're a rookie, yeah. but... When you, when, first of all, when you come in as a rookie, you think about it as a kid. Like you said, just someone was outside shooting basketball. Everyone has this dream of going to the NBA. And it's such a drastic difference from college to the NBA because I was talking to the incoming rookies yesterday and I was telling them, all of these people on TV are going to be analyzing your game before you even play. And I told them, tonight, just enjoy it. Like, as much mm -hmm. as possible, just enjoy it. Because when you get to the NBA, even though that was a dream of yours, um, you go from being maybe 19 or 20 to the locker room. If you're in the locker room with me, I'm 38. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a lot different. You know, and so after practice, uh, a lot of guys are going to their families, depending on what team you go to. So there is a little lonely, loneliness. You know, you might have practice at 11. You get to the gym at like 9.30, practice over by 1, 1.30. What you got to do for the rest of the day. Yeah, to your point, they have families, a lot of them, right? So yep. you're just like kind of yep. chilling. But when you're a rookie and you're young, you might not have a family. You know, it may just be you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you. And so it's a lot of idle time. So you got to try to fill that up. I liked the um, theme of mentorship, too, and really finding people, because I think everyone everyone can relate to that, no mm -hmm. matter what age you are. Right. Right? So when you think about personalities on a team, too, what have you learned about how to make chemistry as fast as possible? Yeah. Um, when you're trying to make chemistry as fast as possible, the only thing you can do is build trust. And the only way you can do that is with time. Uh, but I think where sometimes team mess up, teams mess up is thinking that everybody has to like each other, right? Because that's hard. You know, some people are going to be into this, some people are going to be into that. But what you got to do is try to make sure that everybody respects each other. You know, maybe not necessarily like each other, but make sure you respect them. And then you don't want to let that guy next to you down. So if you can build that up, then that'll supersede anything else. The book that you wrote, 61, is about your grandfather, Papa Chili, and Wake Forest, which, by the way, what is it like for you? I mean, I, it took you like 10 minutes to get through the door, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. People stop you everywhere. Yeah. What's it like for you to be back here? Oh, man, it's nice. Wake Chapel, man, this is such a unique place for me because this is where, like, freshman orientation and all that stuff was. And I, yeah, and I, I hardly get home. You know, mm -hmm. I got here last night, uh, and I leave tonight. To, to get to Atlanta. So there was okay. so much that I try to cram in and see family and work out and be at my gym. And then, you know, it was just, 
it's always nice to be home. A lot of times I wish it could be longer, but mm -hmm. just like everybody else know life, life is happening. Got to compartmentalize. Yeah. Make the most of where your feet are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so your grandfather, I know on signing day when you committed to Wake Forest, um, that story of your grandfather giving you his Wake Forest hat. I loved reading it, but I would love to hear you just share it because I think it's just, it was such a great moment. Yeah, so uh, my grandfather's service station is probably about 10 minutes from here. Really? Yeah, it's about 10 minutes from here. Um, so when I say like this is home, this is, this is home. Like his service station is probably about 10 minutes from here. And then Winston-Salem State University is about 10, 15 minutes away from here. And so, um, you know, November 14th is the day I signed my letter of intent because my high school is probably about 20, 25 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was at my high school and I signed my letter of intent. My granddad took his hat off and, and gave it to me. And then we, uh, it's still so weird to me that my parents didn't go with us that night. It was just me and my granddad. So right up the street right here is the uh, LJVM, the Lawrence Joel uh, Veteran Memorial Coliseum. Me and my granddad went to go see Wake Forest play mm -hmm. on, the, uh, on the 14th. And that next day on the 15th is when I got the news that, that he'd been murdered. Yeah, so everything was, you know, right around here. When you think back to that, that time, now that years had passed, I know that doesn't take the pain away, but what do you think of? Um, man, when I think of it, uh, it's a lot of thoughts to go by because it's been 20 years. You know, it's been mm -hmm. 20 years. So even uh, at my great-grandmother's funeral this morning, uh, it was at one of my grandparents' churches that I hadn't been to in so long. So I was, as we was on our way to the church, we passed one of my best friends uh, where he lived growing up and I hadn't been over there in so long. So it's all this nostalgia, you know? So when I think about my grandfather uh, and losing him, a lot of times when I'm riding around the city is when I'm thinking of, oh, me and Papa I used to go eat there after church or we used to go do this and do that. And now at this point in life, I try to share all those stories with my kids. I think, I, I love that. And I think the part where you were talking about your brother going away to school and you in the mm. back seat and crying was what made me get emotional when I was reading it because I was like, oh my gosh, one day that might be my kids, maybe, or it's just it's so heartfelt. Yeah, it's one of those things where you really don't um, realize what you have until it's gone, right? Yeah. So my brother, we fought, you know, all the time over the front seat, over this and that, and then when we dropped him off to school, um, it's is when I missed them because you realize that all those moments or whatnot, you start appreciating the fights because <laughs> right. you had somebody to do it with. Right. I wanted to, the one thing about the hat, there was, I thought this was so cool. You said right after I signed, Papa took out, took his beloved Wake Forest hat right off and then you shared what he said. He said, Christopher Emmanuel Paul, I will remember this day for the rest of my <laughs> life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't, so there's so much that's woven in. I, um, what do you think Papa Chile would say about the news today? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he would, um, he'd be excited. But as I always say, I think he would be more proud of our family. You know, the mm -hmm. fact that we, we all still together, we still intact. Um, the fact that we're here in Winston, you know, still, uh, he'd be excited. He'd be excited. I don't know if he loved getting on a plane flying, but he'd be excited. <laughs> yeah. You also said that um, that people should talk more about black churches, right? And I love that because when I, you know, when I married Melvin, mm -hmm. that was the first time that I was really okay. So we're going to church when we're down in Columbia, South Carolina, and. I, it was so different. I grew up Catholic, right? Yeah. And I remember one of the first times my mother-in-law, for some reason, was sitting in front of us, and she was putting her hand up to the sky. And I just, I was like, this is so cool because everyone's singing and they're joyful, and it's so different because it was like the emotion it made me feel, I'm just being really honest, was like, no. why, do, why don't we do that? And I feel sort of embarrassed to do that, right? Right. I don't want, I don't want to feel embarrassed. Yeah. But I it's... think I wanted to ask you what... 
why you think it should be talked about more. I'm gonna tell you, it's so crazy to discuss that and talk about it in the book because my great grandmother's funeral this morning, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been gone from home now for 18 years, right? Even 20 years, including um, my two years in college, even though I was right here at home. So it was one of my son's first experiences today, mm -hmm. right? At church with all of my family. Um, I was listening to gospel music this morning before we left the house, like while we was getting in the shower and stuff. And, my son walked in there and I, I said, man, this, this song right here make you want to shout. And my son was like, what? What? So we sort of showed him what shouting was and all this. And uh, what, is, what is it? Like shouting is like someone is like feeling the Holy Spirit or whatnot yeah. and it just moves you, you know what I mean? So yep. people get their feet going and all this stuff. So um, we're in the church today and I was, I was all messed up because uh, it's just like I detailed in the book. Right, like it was an open casket of mm -hmm. my great grandmother, and I kept looking at my grandmother, just seeing how hurt she was, and looking at my dad, and seeing family members that I haven't seen in years. And it's it's like people always say, you hate that it takes losing people to get your family back together. But yeah, you know, for my job and what I do, I'm I'm constantly gone. But uh. You know, my son was sitting there today, and the uh, the eulogy today was amazing. The pastor, he was he was so good. But towards the end, you know, a few people started, you know, feeling feeling it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my cousins got to shouting, and uh, my son sitting next to me, like I said, he hadn't seen or experienced <laughs> all this before, and he was he was just so funny to look at and to see him. You know, he tried to say that my cousin Sherry was was doing the gritty, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, it's crazy, as, as hard as it was today and the hurt, you know, it's always nice to, to be able to find some type of uh, laughter in a, in a moment of grief like that. And human connection, right? Because that's kind of what you're talking about. It's, the, it's everyone together, it's bringing the family and not just the family, but other people too, right? It's yeah, and, and for my son, right, my daughter, uh, I was at a camp in LA, but my son, he's at an age, 14, where he won't ever forget today. Yeah. He won't ever forget today, just like I could vividly remember every emotion. Uh, and my fa family is so blessed that we haven't lost a lot of people. Um, but he'll never forget today, and I know it, because as my great-grandmother lied there, it was, I leaned to him and I told him, I said, Chris, if not for her, there's no Grandma Charlene, which that means there's no my dad, mm -hmm. to mean there's no me and there's no him. You know, so the fact that we got a opportunity to experience five generations is, uh, is something we definitely don't take for granted. What are the things that you make sure to do with them to really balance, you know, like you said, you have so much, going on obviously you've lived so many different places how do you what's most important to you that you instill in them because it's so clear what your family has instilled in you and the things that you pulled from it you talked about caring and advocacy as a, as a part of that too mm -hmm. right but parenting's hard Parenting's really hard, but I, I think the biggest thing we try to show our kids is, me and my wife try to show our kids, is the importance of family. Mm -hmm. You know, and it sounds simple when you say it, but um, not only talking and communicating, but showing up for them. You know, that's the big thing. Like, the most valuable thing that we all have is time. You know, so mm -hmm. when you can show up for family, it's nothing like it. It's nothing like it. So. My family has always showed up for me. You know, my, my grandmother, who that was probably the hardest part today, is looking at her. Because my grandmother, she's always shown up, you know, always. I mean, all of my family, my granddad, everybody, you know, I mean, my grandma, mm -hmm. I mean, she, she watches every game that I play. You know, even when I played in L.A. with the Clippers, and it's 10 o'clock here when my games start. Yeah. My grandmother texts me or called me after every game. Every single every game. Every game. And what would she say? 
She, I mean, sometimes Granny called me before, <laughs> before Coach even brought it in. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes <laughs> I have to answer and be like, Granny, let me shower first or something, Granny. But, uh, oh, you know, I just, I just appreciate her because she is my grandma at all times. No matter if I was eight years old and now at 38, she, mm -hmm. she's still my grandma. Yes. Yeah. I know. My grandma's 95. Wow. And the other one's 92. So I know. And I think it's, you know, it's hard no matter what, right? But it is, there's something too about the longer you have them, right? It's like you have more of those memories too. Um, you're, so now this is great because you're like, you're such a storyteller. You really are. Like it, what, this process, I mean, has this taught you things about yourself that you didn't? Oh man, this has know? taught me a lot of things. I, I've always enjoyed telling stories or whatnot because I like listening to people and I know how like colorful and candid you have to be um, with being personal, you know, and giving real stories and stuff, but not being over the top, making sure that you contain some type of privacy, yeah. <laughs> you know, but. Um, it was it was cool because I know uh, as abnormal as my life may seem, we try to keep it as normal as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and so to tell those stories that I know a lot of other people uh, go through or deal with, um, it's cool because throughout the entire process of me and Jess, like this uh, version and and Jess is your agent, who's awesome. Jess is Jess is amazing. So. Just, um, you know, we have a deadline, so they'd be like, we gotta have this. And I'd be like, man, can they give us a few more days? Can, can they give us a few more days? Can we get one more week? But Why, uh, was it just like you weren't in the zone with it or was it just a lot to get done around other things too? Yeah, to get done around right, other gotcha. things too. But um, having it finished, you know, when you finish it and you get it, you're like, oh man, you got a book. So then the nerves and the anxiety come when people tell you they read it. Because now it's like, what would you think? <laughs> you know, <and laughs> right, right. Um, it's so crazy because there's so many stories intertwined in the book that when somebody says, what's your favorite part? I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm still in it. What, um, what have your teammates said about it? Any teammates that have read it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I don't think any of them read it yet. No? No, I got to get my family to read it first. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Got you. Um, it's so great. It's so great to have you here. I really can't believe the timing too of um, of this news, and I'm so excited for you. It's crazy, right? Right. It's so great. What are you most excited about? Um, what like being the part book? of that the team? The team. The team. Able, yep. Are uh, you excited to stay on the West Coast? Yeah, I'm definitely excited about that. You know, um, my kids, my family. You know, yeah. had it been the East Coast, they probably were coming. You know, and my kids are actually starting at a new school next year that they were excited about, but the, not knowing if they was going. Whatever it is now, I know they're happy, you know, because they'll, they'll get to stay at the school that they were going to, and I'll be able to get back and forth. It, it is crazy that all of this happened on your book tour, and it was like every piece of your tour, right? You know, right. there was some other piece right. of info. So listen, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank um, you. This is going to help a lot of people. And I'm going to call you for AAU advice. Yeah, let me to, know. To that point. Let me know. We're working on that now. <laughs> the AAU conversation could be an entirely separate podcast. Chris did such a great job with the book 61 because he weaved so many themes. And one of the things I took away was that if you are a parent of a child that enjoys a sport or excels at a sport, there are so many lessons and insightful nuggets to pull away from this book. The other thing is five days after we had that conversation at Wake Forest, Chris joined me virtually in front of a live audience at my local library to have more of a Q&A with me, but also to open the conversation up for kids' questions. And I have to say, the questions these kids asked were amazing, and Chris's responses were highly entertaining. So here's a portion of that conversation beginning with us welcoming Chris in. At this point, it's been five days, so I think that he's processed it probably a little bit more. We'll ask him about that. We're gonna dive into the book, so are you guys ready to welcome Chris Paul? I think when we do, we're gonna give him a warm welcome. All right, ready? Alex, hardworking Alex in the back. Chris, CP3! How are you doing? 
in those days since, what have you been most excited about? What part of that news? Um, what part of the news? Well, when he told me, he was so excited. You know, and for me, just to be honest with you, I like, like my whole life has always been like against the odds, right? Like I'm, I'm vertically challenged. I've never been tall. So, <laughs> you know, I've played point guard my whole life. Every time I meet someone, they be like, you playing NBA? You're not that tall. I'll be like, don't figure. Um, and, you know, I think probably since the trade happened, it's all, everything has been, how is this going to happen? He can't do this. He can't do that. He can't, you know. And so that is probably the most exciting part is, you, you you think you get to this level or whatnot or whatnot, but you realize you 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 start back over. So the expectation of this not going to work, that's not going to work. I think that's the most exciting part right now. Have you talked to Steph Curry? <laughs> that's like if I got a dollar for every time somebody asks me. I that, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. What has the conversation been like with Steph? What have you guys talked oh, about? Take us inside that conversation. About. Well, what we talked about the other day was where I'm going to live. <laughs> you know, it's like actually really simple. And I, and I tell you this, like before Steph's rookie year, he spent the summer traveling with me and my family. You know what I mean? Like working out yeah. and training with me. Like our parents are close. Steph, my wife, because I was somewhere playing or something. My wife went to him and Aisha's wedding. Him and Aisha was at my wedding. So this isn't something like we don't know each other. <laughs> I think it's cool that you're going to be, you know, starting to establish camaraderie. And I know that's something that, like you said, you know all those guys anyway, but you're, you're so good at that part of it. And a lot of those lessons you learned from your grandfather your very, and your family, you're very open about that in the book. Can you tell the group here what you were like as a kid and what some of those lessons were? What was I like as a kid? Uh, let my parents tell it I was bad. <laughs> I was bad. I was getting butt whooping after butt whooping growing up. But that was probably just from my curiosity and just, uh, I was the younger brother and had the older brother. And I wanted to do whatever my brother was doing, right? So if my brother was going over to his friend's house, I wanted to go too. You know, when you're the little brother, you don't realize that all his friends weren't necessarily my friends, but you couldn't tell me that. And so the other thing about my brother's friends was they always told me what I couldn't do, right? So that motivated me. Like I was, a, I talk about in the book, I was a diehard UNC Chapel Hill fan as a kid, right? Diehard Carolina fan. And all my brother's homies used to tell me, man, you can't, you ain't gonna be able to go there. You can't do that, you can't do that. And, that, and every time I'd be like, watch this, <laughs> watch this. So that's sort of just been my whole, uh, sort of MO my entire life is trying to overcome what everybody else says is not the norm. What were the, the key things that your grandfather really instilled in you? Right, so one of the key things that my grandfather instilled in me was hard work. And, and it sounds so simple, but I think a lot of times we always look for people to tell us things or to give us advice, but my granddad showed it. Right? He didn't talk to us all the time about this is what you need to do. We just saw it. We saw the work every day. He was opening up the service station and then he would close it down. And it's so crazy, like in life, when you think about work and you think about prior, prioritizing family and like vacation and stuff, my grandfather never took a vacation, right? And I'm not saying that that's a good thing, bad thing, whatever it is, I just know that the one time he actually went away, and you don't think about it as a kid, the one time he went away it was when my grandmother got diagnosed with lung cancer. And I remember we went to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney. And I don't know, it's crazy, I'm thinking about it right now because I'm picturing it. Like as a kid, it's gonna sound so crazy, so please, no disrespect, but my, grand my grandmother at this time was like in a wheelchair, right? So we got to go to the front of all the lines or whatnot. So as a kid, you just like, <laughs> Oh, we could do it in front of the line, you know, like, realizing my grandmother got lung cancer here, you know. But when uh, when we went on that vacation, that's the only time my grandfather had ever went away with us. And I wow. think he was realizing that maybe he shouldn't have worked so hard and enjoyed more times. But on the other side of it, he knew he had to work to provide for all the everything else that was going on. So. 
I don't know, it's just, it's amazing how life comes full circle. And one of the things, you does someone wanna clap? It does feel like you should clap, right? Um, you talk about him not getting to go on vacations and I, the one thing that I realized from your book is, um, you know, you gave him a, a huge blessing because the last time that you saw him was on your signing day at Wake Forest, right? So, and I, I think that that's so incredible the way you talk about that. Um, do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, so uh, November 14, 2002, I'll never forget it. That was the day I signed my letter of intent to go to Wake Forest. And uh, I had my whole family there. My brother had drove home from college and we're in my high school gym and taking pictures and I signed a letter. And my grandfather, uh, I think he had his teeth in that day. My granddad had false teeth, you know what I mean? Like he used to leave him sitting out sometimes like Dennis the Menace. But it was my granddad, I loved him. And so after I signed my letter of intent, he took his Wake Forest hat off and he gave it to me to put on. And I put the hat on, I remember just feeling so proud and the hat kind of smelled like cigarettes or whatnot just because it had been on my granddad. And that picture that they showed of me and my granddad, that was in the parking lot of my high school, right? That was that same day. It was the last day I was with him. And then that night, and it's crazy how God works, that night, Wake Forest had an exhibition game. And so I went to the game with my granddad, just me and him. My brother drove back to school. My parents went home and just me and my grandfather went to the game that night and just enjoyed it. You know what I mean? We laughed, got French fries and food, watched the game. And then after the game, when my grandfather took me home, you know, I always told him every time he dropped me off, I, and I still do this to, the, to this day, whether it's my little cousin when she goes home, whether it's my mom or anybody, I always say, call me when you, or text me when you get home. Call me when you get home, just so I know you're okay. And so I told my granddad, I said, hit me when you get home, love you. Not knowing that would be the last time I talked to him, right? And so that very next day on the 15th is when I was at our high school uh, football game and I got a call from my brother who said he was coming home because my granddad was sick. And I was like, hi, he's sick. I was just with him yesterday. And that's when I, I found out. Uh, my brother didn't tell me because we didn't tell him till he drove all the way home. But that's when I found out my grandfather had been murdered. And that's the part that always just set me off is when you have a loved one, you would rather know that they passed away in their sleep or something a lot uh, more peaceful. But then knowing that he was tied up and beaten, um, that was the part that, that, that messed me up for a while. Well, and it was a few days after that. Um, and I know in the book, it is, it's so, that whole part is so compelling. And even though you know that that's what the story is about, I think the way that you, and I know you worked with Michael Wilbon on this book, the way that they go back and forth between the time and even the different eras of your life is pretty, is incredible. And so, but when that part finally hits, it really hits. And you had the game of your life in high school just a few days later is when you scored the 61. Can you walk us through what that moment was like at the end of that game? Right, so November 19th was the funeral and on the 20th was the first game of my, my senior year. And all my family, everybody was in town. We couldn't even have my granddad's funeral at our, at our church because it was too big. So we went to the biggest church in the city to have his funeral. And um, that game, you know, it's still like a blur. And I actually, I still have the basketball from that game. It's in a case, in a, our trophy case at my parents' house, my most prized possession. But my career high up to this point was 34. 34, so in this game, and parents that's in here or whatnot, or kids, tell your parents to always videotape or film your games, because my dad got every game that I played in. And so we still have this game. And it was just so, so crazy how I felt like I could make everything and I was driving and, and scoring. And when I had 59 points, I drove and I shoot a floater and I get fouled. And so, of course, in my mind, I know that's 61, but it was an and one. And it's crazy, like I said, that that was 20 years ago to think. I don't even know what I was thinking. I knew that I didn't want any more points. 
So I walked to the free throw line and I just threw the ball out of bounds and I walked off the court and, and fell into my dad's arms, you know, because at 17 years old, who would have known that 20 years later, I would have been blessed and fortunate enough to, to play in the NBA for as long as I had. So at the time, you know, that was, that was it for me. You know, I was like, I, I literally fulfilled my, my dream and my purpose here for, for doing this for my grandfather. Wow. And when you say it like that, not just to continue and do what you're doing in the NBA, but now for it to come full circle and to have the opportunity that you're about to have, right? That's pretty incredible. You talked about once you got to Wake, Coach uh, Skip Prosser being one of the greatest coaches that you ever played for. What were some of the lessons that you learned from him? Because I bet that a lot of folks in this room have heard similar lessons, but they're very valuable. Yeah, I I'll tell you, um, and that's why it was so, so cool to write the book because so many things happen in our lives time and time again. And, and Coach Prosser, who's one of the most three influential people in my life, right? Unbelievable. And Coach, I lost Coach my second year in the NBA, right? And that was, that was a tough day because I only played for Coach Prosser for two years, two years. And to see how much he taught me um, just about being a man, not about being a basketball player, and having, having, a, having two kids now and seeing the way that some parents are with coaching is interesting to me because coaches are important, you know, good and bad, right? You can learn from bad coaches too. And you have to allow your kids to be coached because Coach Prosser, I used to walk into his office uh, after practice. And like I said, I'm very visual. I would walk into his office and he'd be sitting there writing letters to other other players, other students, because colleges recruit over you, all right? So just know that. When you get there and you think you're the best thing since pants with pockets, they trying to figure out who gonna replace you, <laughs> right? So, so coach, uh, coach was in there writing letters and I'd come in after class, in between class, and I'd be like, coach, what's up? I'd be, he'd look up, he'd be like, nothing. I'd be, he'd say, how you doing? And I'd say, I'm good. And he would look up to me and roll his eyes and he'd be like, it's well, it's I'm well, right? So I'm at that point in my life and been like that for years that anytime somebody says anything to me, it's I'm well. If somebody says I'm good, then I'm like, who are you and why haven't you been taught? Right? <laughs> not only that, it was different things he used to say. He used to say, if you can't be on time, be early, right? He used to say, never delay gratitude. And one of the other things that he said, he said, don't be a two to six guy, be a six to two guy, right? So our basketball practices in college would be from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. And he would always say, we know what you're gonna do from two to six, but the only way that you separate yourself and become a better player is what you do from six to two, right? And so when you're in school and you're hearing this over and over, you probably like, man, I wish you'd just stop teaching and talking to me until you <laughs> get into real life. And you're like, man, this whole time he was teaching me more than how to be a basketball player. But it's like you say, if you learn how to be disciplined in this, then it will translate to, to that. So. How much do you think kids should be playing basketball? How often should they be practicing? That's a good question. That's subjective, depending on yeah. who you are, what they don't. But it, it's not just playing basketball. I think kids should stay active. Like, as, as much as possible, be outside, play, get away from them screens sometimes. And that's, that's just what, what I believe in because, I mean, like I said, I'm a real parent. I have kids. And, I used, to, I used to go crazy on my son all the time when he wanted to play 2K and all this, because I used to be like, do you want to be nice in 2K or do you want to be nice in real life? I know I used to have to ride in the car with my parents if we were going on a road trip and I would have to sit and look out the window, right? I remember those days, yep. Like I would have to sit and look out the window and that's actually when I actually had a chance to dream, right? We realize that we don't even give kids an opportunity to dream sometimes. Like when you're looking out the window and all those trees passing by, you would just find your mind and your imagination somewhere. And I, I think that's so important, so important. 
I love that. You're such a good storyteller. I remember looking out the windows, especially if it was night, because my parents would always drive us four hours to Pennsylvania, and we would see these houses with lights on inside, and I was always like, what are they doing in their house, you know? But it's that imagination. Uh, it's, it's where you just wonder, and I'll tell you my biggest pet peeve, and I'm sorry to the kids in there or whatnot, but the parents, and one thing my son know, I do not rock with. So. Also, when we rode in the car, if my parents was gonna listen to Frank, Frankie Beverly and Mays, I had to listen to Frankie Beverly and Mays. If they could listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, I was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nowadays, you'll be in the car with your kid, and they will sit there with an AirPod on. I'm not gone. No, 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 no. no. I'll be like, uh-uh, take that out. What, what are we doing? If you want to listen to something, we gonna listen to it, but. There's just the connectivity that uh, I think sometimes gets lost. Kids, when you, when you have a question, if you could say your name and say your age, please, before you ask your question, just so Chris has an idea of, of who you are. Hi, I'm Timmy, I'm nine years old. What's your favorite thing at, to do at practice? What's up, Timmy? Uh, so Timmy, my favorite thing to do at practice um, I love practice or whatnot, but to be honest with you, like once you get in season, you sort of just going over things and scouting other teams. My favorite thing to do, excuse me, is I love competition. So usually after every practice, especially the past three years, we would have a shooting game that we played. Me and Devin would play, KD played with us when he came to the team, but that's probably my favorite time of practice is getting to do this competition shooting stuff against, you know, the best players in the world. My name's Carson, I'm 10 years old. Um, if you're losing like 25 to seven, how would you like prepare yourself or get back like into a good feeling to win? That's a good question, Carson. Um, so first and foremost, you always gotta think like this. Just as easy as you got down 25 to seven, you gotta believe you can get back up 25 to, 25 seven, right? You gotta be able to know that you can make up that difference. And um, it's crazy, a game in the NBA, right? Is 48 minutes long. And the first three quarters could be ugly, be ugly. But before every fourth quarter, I make sure I go into the huddle with my teammates, whether we up 18 or down 18, and I'm like fourth quarter. Because everything else in the game didn't matter except for this fourth quarter. And real quick, I'll tell you, my, when I played for the Clippers, we were down 27 points against the Memphis Grizzlies with nine minutes left in the game. Hear me? 27 <laughs> points with nine minutes left in the game. Like, by that time, everybody probably had turned the TV off. But if you, if you don't believe, then why is, why is anybody else going to believe? And that's part of leadership. Like, you got to make sure that the other guys on your team on that bench believe that you can come back. Thank you. No problem. Hi, my name is Giorgio. I'm age 10. Um, my question is, what age did you start liking basketball at? Yeah. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I, when I was a kid, you start to learn that you, you sort of like whatever your parents like, <laughs> right? My dad was a huge basketball fan. He was a football fan. Uh, my dad was in bowling leagues, that's why I bowled. Um, so I was four years old when I started playing basketball. My dad was on all these men's leagues and I, me and my brother would go watch him play. But uh, I loved football too. I loved football more than I loved basketball to begin with, but I found my passion in basketball. Thanks. Hi, my name is Connor, I'm nine years old. And what sports did you play when you were a kid? Man, good question, Connor. Like, y'all got some journalism all in you guys. Um, so what I played when I was a kid, and I, I'm still mad at this to this day. I'm so mad at my parents about this, but they did what they could do. So I played one year of bat off the tee, right? And then I played football and basketball. So I never got to play coach pitch or any of that. So one year, me and my brother both played three sports. And then after that season, my parents said it was too expensive. And they said they were running around too much because we didn't have other people to help. And that's why I appreciate my parents so much because they were working 
but still found a way to get us here and get us there. My dad coached. My mom would be the team mom, bringing drinks and stuff. Like, they just found a way. So I played baseball, football, and basketball one year, and then they made us choose two sports. So baseball was out of here. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name's Aaron. Uh, so um, I'm super small, and I love basketball. Hi. <laughs> Right. So, when you were younger, were you small? So, and I'm trying to make the NBA. Do you think maybe that's like possible? Listen, listen. First and foremost, don't come try to take my job. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but it's funny, man. I wrote a children's book called Never Too Small to Dream Big, right? And I, I, I would never say that you're too small, right? I would say this and. I think, I think it's in the book, but my college coach used to say, everything is as easy as A, B, C, right? There might've been a lot of basketball players who were better than me or whatnot, but first and foremost, the only way you're gonna get an opportunity to show somebody how good you are is A, academics, right? Like school, like schoolwork is real. Like you gotta pay attention in school. Like A is academics, B stood for basketball and C stood for character. Right, so at the end of the day, you're only gonna get out of it what you get, get out of it what you put into it. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. It's fun. So good luck with that, man. And hopefully, I'm still here when you get here. Not happening. <laughs> Hi, my yeah. name's Delano, and I'm nine years old. Um, you what don't is? Have to introduce yourself, my man. I know you. Okay. What does it feel like to be traded to Golden State after being with the Suns for so long? Man, that's a really good question. Um, I'd be lying if I say it wasn't tough, right? I had a home in Phoenix. I was thinking about moving my family, my brother, and everybody to Phoenix. Um, and I, I honestly, at the time, was hoping that that's where I would, you know, finish finish my career. But it doesn't always work out like that. And when it happens. I always say this, even with the injuries that I've had over my career, um, you get a day, right? You get a day or whatever, or an evening or a night or whatnot to be like, okay, okay, such and such, man, this is what, and then gotta get right back to it. Gotta get right back to it. So uh, I'm excited about Golden State. I'm like, so excited. I'm excited about getting to the city. I'm excited about getting on the court with the guys, but. Like I said, man, since I was four, I've been playing this game. So I know a lot of things. I'm really good at uh, math. I'm really good at um, maybe telling stories here and there. But one thing I know I'm really good at is playing basketball. <laughs> and so I get a chance to do that at the highest level with an amazing group of guys, man. So uh, I'm excited. My name is Austin. I'm 10 years old. What was the most best offensive player you played against? Uh, what's up, Austin? That's easy, Kobe Bryant. Wait, out of Kobe. all your eras, like Kobe Bryant, like out of all your eras you played in? I ain't that old, man. You Kobe said you're man. like 34. I'm 38. 30. Even worse. Okay, well look, I don't care what era you're talking about. The, what, the guy that I played against, I, I say Kobe Bryant. Kobe was different. He had this streak of 50-point games he had went on where he had scored like 50 points in, I don't know, five, six straight games. And if he scored 50 on us, he was going to break the record. Man, we was a shoot-around, and we were all out on the court. And I remember Rasul Butler, rest in peace, one of my teammates, we was all talking, and Rasul was like, he ain't scoring 50 tonight. He ain't scoring 50 tonight. And we was like, yeah, all right, we're going to trap him, we're going to double him, we're going to do this. Man, Kobe might have had 35 at halftime. He's different. He was different. That makes sense. Exactly. Right. No matter what era, boss. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kalia, and I'm 10 years old. And what advice would you give to um, kids that want to be an NBA player or WNBA player? Right. First young lady, thank you for asking that because I have a 14-year-old son, but I have a 10-year-old daughter. And I tell you, it's the same thing as far as work ethic, 
right? The same thing. I tell my daughter the same stuff that I tell my son because she didn't play basketball. She just started playing basketball like two years ago. And when she did start playing basketball, it surprised me. My wife called me and she said, guess what? I said, what? She said, Cam playing basketball. I said, Cam who? (laughs) Not my daughter. And so then I finally talked to my daughter and I was like so excited. I said, baby, I said, mommy said you playing basketball. She said, yes. I said, well, you want daddy to show you anything? She said, no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I would tell you to to work hard and find somebody who's going to show you something because my daughter said she didn't want to hear from me. I had the best time hearing those children ask questions of Chris and seeing how engaged he got when he was answering those questions. This episode was full circle also for me because I have always felt so strongly about the need to be present, especially with friends and family. And hearing Chris talk about his own experiences and being really vulnerable about that just solidified that. And it made me want to frankly talk about it more. I have a lot of questions after that um, for my own family, but also I wanna dig in more about the things that he talked about culturally. And I think hearing about Chris also as a dad and my son who was at that conversation at the library has brought up to me since what Chris said about not being on screens, but looking out a car window. And I think there are so many things in the simplicity that we should lean into. Anyway, thank you so much to Chris Paul and his entire team. They're amazing. And we certainly asked for a lot of time and they delivered, especially in this time of crazy roller coaster, um, the roller coaster of life for Chris. Also, thank you to Richard and the crew from Two Waves Media who shot this and helped edit it and put it together. And thank you, Family Made, for being great partners in the Lunch Lindsay endeavor. So anyway, until next time, thank you. Be where your feet are. And thank you, Chris Paul.